let's get ready to study God's Word. episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into this study. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word. We thank you for this opportunity to review lessons from the Word of God. We ask you to be with us, to bless us, to give us wisdom and understanding, and help that the lessons that we bring forth will be in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's study is entitled, Is Salvation Easy or Hard? And our passage for this study comes to us from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's Philippians 2, 12, and 13, King James Version. So our question for today is, is salvation easy or hard? And the answer is yes. There is an element of salvation which is easy, and there are elements of salvation which are difficult. And we need to understand that. The reason we need to understand that is if we look at this question from a non-biblical stance or we focus too much on ourselves, we will come to conclusions that are not only discouraging to ourselves, but will be discouraging to other people as well. Jesus presented the gospel to his followers by telling them that they needed to take up their cross daily and follow him. He told them that in the world they would have tribulation, but that they should be of good cheer because he had overcome the world. He told them that they would have to, that they would be forsaken by others, that the world would not support them because it did not support him. He told them things that were potentially disheartening, potentially discouraging, but he encouraged and provided promises for all of those situations. Salvation is not a cakewalk, more precisely the Christian life, right? When we talk about salvation, we don't just mean the moment where you've accepted Christ, because if it were just that moment, then we could argue that salvation is easy. 
if it was just the moment of justification that we were discussing when we spoke of salvation, then salvation would be easy because all the hard work Christ did. Christ came, he lived, and was tempted, and was persecuted, and was hunted. He died a hideous death, and now he's ministering in the courts above so that he can appeal to us that now is the day of salvation, and we can say, yes, Lord, and then our problems are solved if, in fact, salvation ends at the moment of acceptance of the gift. But salvation is just beginning at that point. One of the metaphors that I like to use is the helicopter rescue. And in a helicopter rescue, imagine that you are someplace that is dangerous. You are adrift at sea. You are on top of a, a burning building or, or a house that is being flooded. And a helicopter flies overhead with a ladder. There's not enough room for you to go up into the helicopter, but you can hold on to the ladder and then the helicopter will put you down someplace. When the helicopter shows up and you're able to grab onto the ladder, in a certain sense, you have been rescued, right? If people were on looking, if there were onlookers, if people were were looking at that situation, if you had been on the news, at the moment that you grabbed hold of the ladder, chairs would ring out. But most people would recognize that your salvation wasn't complete until you were deposited someplace safe, right? Just being held up on the, um, by the helicopter would not be sufficient. It would be the beginning of your salvation experience, but it wouldn't be the end of your salvation experience, not until you'd been placed someplace sure, someplace where that vehicle no longer had to be constantly involved. Salvation is easy when we consider that Christ has done all of the hard work. Salvation is easy when we recognize that the bulk of the oppression and the significance of the sacrifice is the side that God did. Whatever we give up in this life to accept Christ is much, much less than what Christ gave up to come and rescue us. And frankly, we're probably giving up things that would be detrimental to us in the long run anyway. So in that sense, salvation is easy. But living the Christian life is not a joke. It's not a cakewalk. It's not trivial. We don't want to emphasize that it's hard as though, A, we're competing with what Christ has done and is doing, nor do we want to lament the difficulty as though we're being inconvenienced in some way. We don't really want it to be about us, and we shouldn't really make the focus about us. But salvation is hard because of us. It's hard because of our tendencies. It's hard because of our existing habits. It's hard because self wants to rise up and do its own thing repeatedly. 
it's hard because we are our own worst enemy and we have an external enemy who is trying to trip us up as well. As part of the salvation process, as part of the Christian experience, when we surrender our hearts to God, we are given a new heart. This is one of the things that God promises to do for us. We're given a new heart. We're even given a new nature. We become a new creature. But there's an interesting point to remember about becoming a new creature. We become a new creature. We have new direction. We have a new focus. But our old habits are not necessarily removed from us. Certainly, we've heard stories and accounts of people who used to smoke and drink, and God removed those urges from them immediately upon their accepting of him. Or, maybe not immediately when they accepted him, but when they recognized that it was something that they were going to struggle with and they prayed about it, he removed it from them. Everyone doesn't get that. In my experience, everyone has not gotten that. Okay? God does not necessarily remove every single thing that besetting sin, as Paul would call it, every single besetting sin that harasses us. He promises us grace to deal. Sometimes he removes it, and we should pray for removal and or for strength to deal and let God decide what is the appropriate course. But what we do need to recognize is that even with the new nature and a new desire, and and Philippians 2 tells us that this nature and desire, all of these elements come from God, right? God is the one who calls us to repentance. God is the one who established a plan of redemption for us. God is the one who gives us wisdom and understanding and directs our steps. And here Paul even says, God is the one who wills and does his good pleasure. But God needs us to cooperate because he's not going to save us against our will. Like Daniel in Daniel chapter 1, we need to purpose in our hearts that we will move in a particular direction. The purposing, the desiring, the willing is ours to take hold of, the power to execute is God's. It is God who gives us the power to execute. It's God who prompts us to move in that direction. It's God who encourages us to move in that direction. It's God who gives us the grace to move in that direction, but we have to want to move in that direction. And not want, not, um, when I say want, it needs to be a strong, purposeful desire, not a wish, right? Many people wish that they were millionaires. Many people have a desire to have a lot of money. But not many people are going to put that kind of work in to get it. Not many people are going to go down that path. It's that desire, that motivation to move in that direction. We must exercise that because God is not going to save us against our will. But here's the interesting thing. Whenever we have a discussion about faith and works and grace and and law, there's always this idea that anything that I do is because I think it's meritorious 
and I need to get out of that mindset. And that's not true. Certainly, it's true in many instances. I don't want to say it's never true. But what we have to understand is that when we've accepted Christ and decided to follow him and decided we want to be on this pathway, we're given a new heart and a new nature, but we still have old habits. And if we don't do anything, those old habits will kick in. They will dominate our time because we have old habits. Whenever you're getting to a place where you need to change the way you live, you usually have to change how you think, where you go, what you do, and who you hang out with. Because all of those factors are intertwined. How we think is influenced by where we are and who we're with. What we do is influenced by where we are and who we're with, right? All of these things are tied together. In order to obtain a new character, because God doesn't give us a new character. He gives us a new nature. And sometimes we use the words interchangeably, but, but listen carefully. He gives us a new nature, a new trajectory, a new direction. But we need to move in that direction. If we don't do anything, we will gravitate to doing the things we have always done. We have existing habits. And now we need to have new habits. What are habits? Well, habits are a series of consistent actions. What are actions? Well, actions are the things that we do after we've thought. We think and we put those motions into action. Okay, so we need, in order to get new habits, you need new actions, you need new thoughts. We have a new nature that has a desire for new thoughts. We need to think those new thoughts intentionally and act upon them. As we act upon them consistently, we will get new habits. And that body of habits becomes character. The way that the Christian ends up with a Jesus-like character, with a Daniel-like character, with a Job-like character, with a Joseph-like character, is to think on these things, on godly things, behold the word of God, hear the word of God, act on what we hear in the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, consistently act on what we hear in the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, which forms new habits. It is God that works in us both to will and to do. He gives us the desire that we need to act on. He gives us the power to act successfully. And as we do that, as we take this path, this approach, we will develop new habits that will supersede the old habits that we used to have. This is why it's so important for us to accept Christ earnestly in our youth. 
because the longer that we take to accept Christ wholeheartedly and embrace him full-fledged, the more destructive, non-productive habits we have developed, the more reinforced our character is in a non-heavenward trajectory. And so when we finally accept Christ, we have more work to do to overcome that those pathways that we've carved out in our brain. When we accept Christ, when we remember now the creator in the days of our youth, the number and extent of the pathways that are formed is lower and smaller. It's reduced relative to what happens when we wait longer before we accept God. The degree to which we are conformed to the world is the degree to which our minds need to be renewed. Right? Romans 12, 1 and 2. So it's better to do it earlier than late. But, but if we have squandered time, we should accept the fact that God is merciful and that he will make a way for us to pursue him better late than never. Just understand that the pathway to a right character will involve more thoughts that are unlike our old thoughts and more actions that are unlike those old actions so that we can develop habits that are unlike those old habits and build a character that is unlike that old character. We're not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it by the power of God, but it has to be done because what God gives us is a new heart, a new nature. The character is built by the thoughts and the actions and the habits. There's no place in the Bible that tells us that God gives us a new character. A character is always built. When Adam was created, Adam was created perfect, but his character was built by the thoughts he maintained, which led to the actions he took, which became habits, which became character. That's always the path. That was the path for Christ. The Bible tells us that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. The experience he had in life built actions into habits, into character. Christ had to do that. Christ took on a human nature, but he had to build a perfect human character. He wasn't just given a character instantly. Likewise, God gives us a new heart, new nature, and the tools to develop a Christ-like character. But it will involve us every step of the way choosing what is right, fighting against our old habits, 
again, by his power, but we have to decide to do it. Most of the struggles we have would be won if we wanted to win, right? It's not that the struggle isn't difficult, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the reason we fall for some of the things we fall for is because we want those things. We want those outcomes. The reason why we pursue those things is we still like sin too much. And so when the struggle comes to do something we know is not right, but yeah, yeah. And so we do what we should not do, what we know we should not do, because we kind of like the outcome. When we hate the outcome, we will find that the battle is less severe. And God is always prepared with the grace to be overcomers. So it's not as though there's a deficiency in God or a deficiency in the plan. There's a deficiency in our desire. Salvation is easy if we trust in God because God has done the hard part and God offers us the power to be victorious. But we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It's serious business. Because it's God that works in us to set the desire in the right direction and to execute on it if we will cooperate with him. There is an easy aspect to salvation and there's a hard aspect to salvation. And as if we understand that, we need to apply ourselves by God's grace to tackle that difficult portion every day and not take it for granted that because we love God, we're going to make the right decisions. We love God, but we love ourselves too. And we need to love God more than we love self. Otherwise, we will choose self over God nine times out of ten, unfortunately. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness and your love to us. We thank you, Lord, for the plan of redemption, glorious plan that you have set in motion to save us from our sins, to redeem the world, to reconcile us back to heaven. We ask you to help us to deny self, take up our cross daily, and follow Christ. We ask you to help us to love you more than we love ourselves so that we will cooperate with you as you provide for us opportunities to build a holy and perfect character. Forgive us of our sins, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can email us at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. Please remember this ministry in your prayers.
And don't forget to check out the full description of this episode at biblestudy.aspzone.com to ensure that you can access the linked resources and any related podcast episodes. This podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pandora, and more. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word. Thank you.